Thank you for tuning in to the 100th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl Lane. As always, I want to thank you for listening, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, however you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. we got a great show. going to have Ben Karen on, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast in just a bit to talk a lot of college football, a little bit of NFL, but a lot of college football. Also going to have my man, my brother, Scotty Johnson on towards the end of the podcast. Going to talk a lot of NBA with Scotty, especially USA basketball. And we're going to delve into that a little bit because America, you know, they usually win. They got seventh place this year in the World Cup for FIBA. But here's where I want to start. Some organizations, uh, some entities, you know, they're built to last. They're built to survive and being able to keep going on without talent, without notable names, right? For example, you know, I just talked about this, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pokemon, the show Pokemon, right? You have to catch all the Pokemon. Uh, apparently, Ash, they were, I just saw it on Twitter, he finally became like a Pokemon master. And you know what? I remember when I used to watch that show when I was little. Uh, the only two characters that stayed the same throughout the whole series were Ash the boy and his Pokemon, Pikachu. Everybody else changed, right? The other Pokemon changed. The other uh, side main characters changed. I think even villains changed throughout. And the show kept going on. The show kept being successful because of the brand. You know, because of the video games. There was so much more than just a certain character, just a certain person, which made the show go, right? One of my favorite uh, musical groups when I was younger, The Temptations, right? Kicked their lead singer out, David Ruffin, did the song My Girl. And you know what they did? They just replaced David Ruffin with uh, Dennis Edwards, and they came out with Papa Was a Rolling Stone, and that song was just as famous as My Girl. Right? I think they had about a couple more hits after they kicked them out the band. The music group. The Los Angeles Lakers. Most popular, most notable NBA franchise. They still keep plugging along, right? It's like, there's Kareem. Kareem's gone. Then you have Magic. Then HIV happens. Magic retires. Magic leaves the game. Then you want to know what happens? Then Kobe happens. And then Kobe's gone. Happens. On happens. On happens. On happens. Right? Sometimes the content, sometimes the industry can be so good that it can keep churning out talent that will attract you. Kind of like the NFL. Their brand, you know, legacy, stability. They have a great talent pool to pick from. Big Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. Drew Brees is going to be out for at least six weeks. Uh, hurt his hand or his thumb. Had surgery. Ben Roethlisberger hurt his elbow and will be out for the rest of the season. And then people might be like, oh my gosh. And the only people that should be worried, that should be frightened, are Steelers fans and Saints fans. Because of... Mason Rudolph is the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You got problems. 
And if Terry Bridgewater is the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, you go for a team that is a Super Bowl contender to a team that, quite frankly, will probably miss the playoffs. But if you're an NFL fan, it doesn't matter to you, right? People say, oh, but what? they're great Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So was Peyton Manning, and nobody talks about Peyton Manning anymore because there's, well, Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, great Hall of Fame quarterbacks still playing. Look at all the young, talented quarterbacks that we have in the game now. Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Jackson, Josh Allen. Could even throw Sam Darnold in there. Still have great veterans like Russell Wilson. Captivating personalities that we're still wondering what can they be when they reach their full potential. Jimmy Garoppolo, right? It's not that big of a deal that Breeze and Roethlisberger are out. It won't affect the NFL because the NFL is about the brand. It's about the shield. It's not necessarily about the players. So I, I think the Steelers and the Saints, they should be worried. But the rest of the NFL, the NFL is built to last. The NFL is built to deal with talent going, talent being gone, right? So many people are like, oh, my gosh, after when Colin Kaepernick's on all the injustices that happened to Colin Kaepernick. And you want to know what? Football is still the most popular sport in the world. I mean, not in the world, excuse me, in America. Still the most popular sport in America, by a wide margin, I might add. Now, I do want to talk about this too, right? You know, there's always a saying, when the rubber meets the road, we find out we find out who's real, who isn't, who's fake, who's not. The the who has it to the who ha who doesn't. It's when greatness is personified. Uh, Cleveland Browns are playing Monday night today, right? Tonight, playing Monday night against the New York Jets without Sam Darnold, their starting quarterback. This is a game, this is going to be a flashpoint game, a flashpoint moment that everybody looks back after this NFL season's over and after the Super Bowl happens. And everybody's going to talk about what happened to the Browns, why the Browns didn't make it to the playoffs, why they didn't advance in the playoffs, or why they ended up being 8-8, eight and eight, or why, let's say, something crazy happens and they end up being 4-12. and 12. We're going to look back at this game, right? They get their butts whooped week one by the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee, Tennessee puts up 43 points. They get blown out at home. So much excitement. And it dims like a little match. It's gone. Then we have week two. And like I said, New York Jets. Monday Night Football. Prime time. Without their starting quarterback, Sam Donald. This is a game that Baker Mayfield should win. This is a game that Freddie Kitchens should win. This is a game Odell Beckham should win. They come out and they lose. To a New York Jets team. With... Trevor Simeon as their starting quarterback? Lead to, could lead to everything going all downhill for the Cleveland Browns this year. Everybody, especially in Cleveland, you know, go to school in John Carroll, everybody's so quick to anoint Baker Mayfield, saying Baker Mayfield is this, Baker Mayfield is that. Uh, I remember people were telling me, Baker Damn better than Baker. 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 Damn better than Baker Mayfield is right now. Lamar Jackson, same quarterback in his draft class, is looking a whole lot better than Baker Mayfield right now. 
People talked all about the Browns. All this minutia, all this talk, all this chirping, swirling about the Browns, right? Remember, Delaney Walker says, after the Titans blew him out, the Browns were who we thought they were. Now, we're really going to see, like I said, Monday night, are the Browns who we thought they were? Are they that super super team? That team that can go 12-4, and four, make a deep run? That young team? Or are, they, are they a team that's overrated? Like I said, everybody in Cleveland wants to talk about Baker. Baker this, Baker that. But you want to know what? I hope Baker challenges his inner LeBron. Because that's what they're going to need. A memorable performance for this flashpoint game. This tour de force. Remember when LeBron was down 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors? Nobody thought they could do it. And they did it. LeBron was the superhero Cleveland needed. And he showed up and he showed out. Cleveland, the Browns, Freddie Kitchens, Odell. They need Baker to be that guy. To put on a LeBron-type performance. To put on that performance primetime stage in front of everybody when the whole world is watching. When the whole country is watching. And to make a statement, I'm here. I'm the baddest mofo in the room and there is nothing that anybody can do to stop me. So that's what my, my challenge is to Baker. That's what I'm looking and, and I honestly, and before I actually, I picked the Jets to win ironically, but until I, when I heard news of Sam Darnold uh, was out, I'm just going to go with the Browns now to win that game. But this is what we're going to need to see. This is what we're going to need to see. I tell you, this game will be such a tall tale. How does Freddie Kitchens handle being a, you know, a head coach? Because Freddie Kitchens did not look like he had that team ready to play. And if this team does not come out ready to play, if the Cleveland Browns do not come out ready to play, it's the Jets tonight. It will be sure a sign of things to come. Now, cut them next. After the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to have Ben Karen on the show, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast, going to talk a lot of college football. Cut them next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast with us. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Daryl. How are you tonight? I'm, I'm doing great. Now, Ben, the first question I have for you is this, right? Top 25 comes out for college football. Six SEC teams the most, but was, what's really shocking is you have six Pac-12 teams, which matches the SEC. Now, this is something we've talked a little bit about. Do you think we've overblown how weak the Pac-12 is compared to other conferences? I do not. To be honest with you right now, they've missed the playoffs the last couple of years, and we're just at the end of week three, and I already think the Pac-12 is in peril, and it's looking like they're going to miss it again this year. Even with 16 to the top 25? Yeah, I mean, you look around, and I, I know that you're telling me there's six teams in the top 25, but my question to you is, who's who's making the college football playoff? Because I'm looking around, Washington already has a loss, USC went down in overtime against BYU, Oregon's already got a loss to Auburn, I mean, you you banking all the chips on Utah? 
<laughs> no, I, I will not be uh, banking all my chips on Utah, Ben. I will not do that. Well, I'm just telling you. I mean, when you when you look at it, I think they're going to miss it again this year. Arizona State, Utah, Washington State, and I think Cal. Those are the teams that we're talking about that are undefeated. I don't see any of them getting to the playoffs, and you know, quite frankly, I think an SEC team or Big Ten or Big Twelve team might get there before one last Pac-12 team. Even an undefeated Notre Dame as well, too. That's also to take into account there. Now, Ben, I, I do have to ask you, uh, Justin Fields uh, has been playing great for Ohio State. I want to know, what are your thoughts on Justin Fields, and what, has he been as good as you expected? Like, did you expect Justin to be this good uh, this quickly uh, right away? I did not expect Justin Fields to be nearly as good as he is. I had a chance to watch him play these last couple of weeks, and that guy looks sharp. You know anytime Georgia recruits a guy and then you get him in from Georgia, he's probably a pretty good quarterback. I, I saw him play some last year, though, and I definitely felt that Brom was better than him at the time. But you can tell he's really taking his time. He's learning the offense, and they're putting him in some great spots to really be successful because he has absolute command over that offense. And as I said before, he looks really, really sharp right now. He is better than I expected he would be. Much better. You think Kirby Smart's kicking himself a little bit for, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of running uh, Justin Fields out a little bit to have a guy like Jake Fromm uh, take full control of the team and be the starting quarterback? I don't think he's kicking himself. It's always hard when you have two quarterbacks that are as talented as Fields and Fromm. I think that Kirby Smart did what he had to do. He made a decision and he moved on, and Georgia's going to be just fine. Now, I want to talk about another former uh, Ohio State quarterback, Joe Burrows. Joe, Joe Burrows seems like he's taken his play up another level. The game against Texas uh, last week was extraordinary. He played really well this week. How surprised are you that Joe Burrows is kind of taking his game up to another level and has put himself in an early Heisman race? Well, I thought he played very well. Uh, you know, in the game against Texas. He came to Kyle Field to play my Aggies really tough last year, put up 72 points. Yeah, Joe Burrows can play. He's a good player. I, I, do, I think this talk about him being in the Heisman race is crazy. I think LSU is a little bit overrated right now as well. But it was certainly a marquee win for them as they start the season. But I think as the season progresses, Joe is probably not going to be in the talk for the Heisman. Oh, you, oh! So you think this is more of a flash in the pan than a, a sign for more things to come? I do. Yeah, I think that he's a good quarterback, and he's probably, you know, top fifteen, top twenty guy. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not seeing top five. Not for him right now. Now, you even mentioned this with LSU. Do you have, like, a team so far that's kind of high in the rankings that you're like, uh, you know, they're not quite that good. Who, who would that team be for you? Well, 
I think that I have to go with Michigan. I know when I talked to you a few weeks ago, I died pretty high on Michigan, but they've looked really bad. They, they almost blew that game uh, against Army a couple weeks back, and then, quite frankly, looked very good in their opener either. So I think Michigan right now is kind of a sitting duck, and I don't think it's going to be long until until they, they get their first loss. Um, probably, I'm, I'm predicting, you know, in the first few weeks of Big Ten play, they're probably going to pick up at least one, maybe two losses. Now, really, see, now, I looked at the Army game a little bit differently. I thought it was, you know, I mean, they run the triple option, which is a really hard offense to prepare for. Uh, there's really nothing quite like it because most teams don't run. I, I kind of just pictured that game as an aberration, and, you know, they found a way to win. Even though the offense has been really concerning. The offense has been very concerning. Yeah, well, I guess for me, I just expected a lot more of Shea Patterson this year, especially with the athletes that Michigan has on the outside. I thought that he'd really be able to take advantage of that, especially, um, you know, when Michigan has a coach, the caliber of Jim Harbaugh. And so far this year, they've been a major letdown, and I think that they are probably the most overrated team in, uh, in the standings at this point in time. Now, give me an underrated team, Ben. Who's a team that isn't ranked quite as high? Isn't ranked quite as high? that uh, you think should be ranked higher? Well, right now, to me, there, there are a couple of teams that I feel that way about. Um, you know, I, I'm probably biased, but I would certainly say uh, my Aggies, Texas A&M University. They, they got hammered up not pretty hard for going on the road to Death Valley and playing the defending champs and losing by 14 points. I know Kellen Mond didn't look especially good in that game, but that's a pretty hard hit to take for, for a 14-point loss to the defending champs on the road. And I also think my other team would be uh, the Oregon Ducks. They lost just a heartbreaker at the end against Auburn, and I think some people are sleeping on them. Do you think, uh, and I actually I wanted to ask you about that, because we, we never got to talk about the Texas A&M-Clemson game. What did you think? Did, did Were you surprised that they did win by 14 points? Because I thought it was going to be a, a much closer game like it was last year when they took them right down to the wire. Well, I watched the entire thing, and I'll tell you, it, it felt like Texas A&M lost by a lot more than 14, because they, they pretty much got dominated on both sides of the ball. Um, the biggest surprise for me, and I, I did feel that it would be closer, was just how dominant Clemson's defense was. I thought that this might be a great opportunity for the Aggies, since Clemson graduated so many defensive linemen last year and sent them to the pros. But they seemed to pick, pick up right where they left off last year. And Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good in that game as well. Not to mention they have a couple wide receivers that are about 6'4", 6'5", couple hundred pounds each. That's kind of a hard thing to defend against. Do you think that Clemson has overtaken Alabama as the standard in college football? Not yet. I think if they win again this year, then we'll have a really serious conversation about that. 
And Ben, and, and this is a concern I have because, you know, I, we both expect both these teams to get at the playoffs, but I don't know if Alabama can beat Clemson, to tell you the truth. I don't think, because I'm going to be honest, I don't know if you watched the South Carolina-Alabama game, but Alabama's defense is not where you would expect it to be. Yeah, well, I mean, we know we know that Clemson and Bama are the two top teams. One thing that I know about Alabama is time. Time fires. Complete. It's going to get. They're the kind of team that's going to get stronger as the season goes on. Nick Saban is very, very dangerous when you start giving them lots of time to figure things out. Uh, things that are working, things that aren't working, a lot of time to prepare for games. I, I definitely uh, only expect to see a Nick Saban Clemson Tide counterpunch this year. You do? The Tigers. Now, now, Ben, I do, yeah. I do want to ask you, you mentioned this about Justin Herbert, and you get to watch Justin Herbert a little bit of more games because, you know, you're out west. Uh how good does Justin Herbert look to you? Because people have talked about him being the potential number one overall pick over a guy like a two attack of Aloha, a Jake Fromm, others. How good is Justin Herbert? To me, I, I think he's around the same kind of level as Joe Burrow. He's probably <laughs> like a, like a top 15, top 20 quarterback maybe, but the talk about him going number one all over, that's ridiculous. I, I, I think Tua is way better than him personally. Um, yeah. I think he'd be crazy to draft Justin Herbert ahead of him in the draft. But, you know, even with that being said, though, I mean, if you're, you're looking for a quarterback to maybe get into your system that doesn't have to start immediately, I mean, I think Herbert could still be a good prospect, but I'm not sure he's a number one overall prospect or even a first-round prospect. That was a hot take, Ben. Justin Herbert is on Joe Burrow's level. That is a hot take, Ben. What don't you specifically like about Justin Herbert? What do I not like about him? Yes, specifically. Well, some quarterbacks have such an air about them that they can just kind of lead their team to victory after victory and be very clutch. And Herbert essentially has not been able to do that, at least not on a consistent basis. It always seems to me like when Oregon gets into these big games, like they were against Auburn, where they have a chance to make a real statement, they come up a little bit short. If Herbert's going to change my mind, he has to show up in some big games down the stretch this year, and he has to come through in the clutch. He's shown me no ability to do that, even though he's got a nice arm. And, you know, I, kinda, I like his mechanics as a passer quite a bit. He just doesn't seem to have the hit factor. And I'm not sure Joe Burrow does either. So that's why I kind of put that on the same plane. I think they're very similar, both very talented, but yeah, I need to see more out of them because what I've seen so far is not convincing. Now, well, what I do now want to ask you, Ben, is uh, there, there, people talk about a lot of quarterbacks. People talk about Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert. Who's the best quarterback in the country, in your opinion, right now? Who's playing at the highest level? Right now, 
I think it's Trevor Lawrence. What he did last year in the championship was everything you could ever ask for from a college quarterback. And then he started this year, and to be honest, he looked really, really good. I think some other guys, though, to keep an eye out for, obviously, Tua is probably, you know, in that discussion. Justin Fields right now. Uh, Jalen Hurts out in Oklahoma. I like Ellinger out in Texas as well. Um, those those would be some of uh, some of the, the guys that I would have a very keen eye on. And, and Ben, uh, specifically about Jalen Hurts, and I want your opinion on this because I was always—I used to be under the assumption when it came to Jalen Hurts, I, I never thought he could be an NFL prospect. I, I thought he'd be a guy that, when he gets to the NFL, right, he's going to have to play receiver, tight end, or be a wildcat quarterback. And now I'm looking at him under Lincoln Riley, and I'm kind of like, I think this guy can play in the NFL. I, I even think—I think Jalen Hurts can be as good as Dak Prescott, what that's worth. Well, I'm not sure I'm that convinced yet, but he's off to a great start, and I think that time is going to tell for Jalen Hurts. We're at the point in time now where Oklahoma has produced the last two Heisman Trophy winners, and I do think there's something to be said for Lincoln Riley's system. Lincoln has, in his young career so far, already shown an ability to kind of maximize whatever he can get out of his quarterbacks. And that's pretty impressive. I, I think Riley's one of the best coaches in college football right now. Um, but I, I, I need to see a little bit more from Jalen Hurts. One thing that he, he's got on his side, though, is nobody's going to question his character. He is a good dude, came into that Georgia game, led his team to the victory. You know, when we talk about my criticism of Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, is kind of like the opposite of that. He is the kind of guy, maybe he's not quite as good of a passer, but he's the guy that can come in in those clutch moments and win those games. A lot has changed for him, I think, since he got replaced at halftime in the national championship game by Tua. Now, Ben, my last question for you. You know, you used to be, you used to live in the New England area. The Patriots, they sign Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, he's had a, been in the news for all the wrong reasons, whether it's a lot of the foolishness with Mike Mayock and John Gruden, from even the new sexual assault allegations that are gone on to gone uh, on about him. Do you think that the Patriots made the right decision taking a chance on Antonio Brown? I do not. I think that Antonio Brown is essentially a cancer in your locker room. <laughs> he was in Pittsburgh, Big Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, guys with championship pedigree. Couldn't make it work with him. And then he goes out west to Oakland. John Gruden, another guy, championship pedigree, loved Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown did nothing but act a fool the entire time he was out there and do stupid things. It's only a matter of time until that happens in New England, too. In fact, when you look at it, 
word is that he didn't even tell them ahead of time that there was this pending allegation against him. And from everything that I've been seeing in the media concerning his outward communication, it doesn't, to me, sound like he's innocent. So I think that the Patriots are going to be dumping him off of the roster sooner as opposed to later. And I just have to ask, too, when you look at the New England Patriots, why do they need Antonio Brown? They have Julian Edelman, and then they've also got Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon, as long as he has his head on straight, has the ability to be an all-time great receiver. I think he has just as much upside as Antonio Brown, and I actually think even as much trouble as he's been in at this point in time, he's got less downside. So if I was the Patriots, I would have just stuck with Josh Gordon. Already shown they can win the Super Bowl without Antonio Brown. It's not like one of these situations where they need him in order to maybe get him over the hump and help him win a Super Bowl. To me, it just seems like it was a large risk to take, and there's not going to be a lot of reward for them. Do you, what are your thoughts? Do you, well, I agree, and what I do want to ask you is, do you think the Patriots made the right decision even playing him uh, Sunday, even given everything that's you know been swirling around him in the allegations? I mean, and you could even make the argument that the NFL should have pinned him on the uh, the NFL's exempt list, the commissioner's exempt list. But should he have? Should he have even played on Sunday? That's a hard thing to answer. I think it probably would have been better if they'd said, "You know what? Don't suit up for this one." And I know that we live in a country where. You are innocent until proven guilty. And I stand by that. But when we're talking about domestic violence and sexual assault allegations, that right now is like the one untouchable sin in the NFL. And I think just with all the things going on, maybe it would have been better for the team and for Antonio to sit this one out. I agree with you, Ben. I, 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 I could have Miami without him. Believe it or not, I actually think that's a possibility. <laughs> You're right about that, Ben. Now, uh, ben, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime, Gerald. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you why it's kind of funny how things work out in sports kind of next after the break on barbershop sports talk with Barbershop Sports Talk, and I want to thank Ben Karen for coming on the show. Appreciate it. I know uh, he's a very busy guy. His teacher has a lot of stuff on his schedule, on his plate, so I appreciate that. Uh, 
In a bit, we're going to have Scotty Johnson on. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA, a lot about uh, FIBA, World Cup, the United States getting seventh, you know, what that means, America's best players, are they from different countries? Now we're going to talk about all that coming up after our next break on Barbershop Sports Talk. But uh, here's where I want to start, right? So Antonio Brown, good game with the Patriots. I think he had like uh, eight targets. Uh, he's had a touchdown, uh, had a couple catches, played really well. And it's funny, Antonio Brown, and I think most people would say this is on the best team in the NFL, with the best quarterback and coach of all time in Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, maybe the greatest uh, dynasty, uh, dynastic run, especially in football at the very least in NFL history, and the New England Patriots, especially when you consider like the modern era, their salary cap, there's all these things built for parity, and the Patriots continue continuously win at a very high rate. And you look at Antonio Brown acted like a fool. He acted like an idiot. He did everything wrong. He did the Facebook Live. He, there, he, I think he subtweeted Ben Roethlisberger talking about um, his sexual assault allegations in the past. Did a lot of just kind of nasty, shady jive stuff. And he ends up being kind of rewarded by going to the best team in the league with the best people to work with and the best people to put to put him in the best position to succeed. And you look at the Steelers right now. <laughs> If you look at the Killer Bees, right? Ben Roethlisberger hurt his elbow, is out for the season. People are talking about, is this going to end his career or whatever? Ben Roethlisberger is up there in age, so you don't know what he's going to want to do. Le'Veon Bell, the New York Jets, they're 0-1. Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown's with the Oakland Raiders, then he just decides to act more of a fool and gets kicked and gets waved, released, and then goes to the Patriots. Life isn't fair. Life is not fair. And not to mention, he goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers' rivals, who continuously, in the New England Patriots, who continuously beat the brakes off the Steelers, especially in Gillette Stadium and Foxborough. So Antonio Brown, it's funny, it's always, it's funny when you look at who, who had the last laugh at the end of the day. Everybody was saying, oh my gosh, without Antonio Brown, the Steelers are going to get rid of this locker room cancer. They're going to be great. They're going to be this. And I know ben, even Ben, who was just on the show, was talking about how Antonio Brown's a cancer. But here's what I would, you know, I would say. Patriots got the chemo for this cancer. And you could say Antonio Brown's a tumor, but in that New England locker room, he's going to be a benign tumor. A t tumor. He's going to be a benign tumor. He's not going to be dangerous. He's not going to be deadly. Because if it comes to it, they will cut him. In an instant. And you want to know what? When the model franchise, when the model family gets rid of you, the model school gets rid of you, the people, the people that have a high reputation, then everybody else starts to look in the okay. If Belichick Belichick can't fix Antonio Brown, if Tom Brady can't fix Antonio Brown, who the hell can? Right? <laughs> right? They're only men, like, like who who else can? Now, this week in the NFL, past Sunday, I want to brag about this. It's about that time. It's great. Nice segue to the Steelers. Would you have ever thought, if I asked you in the beginning of the season, I said, okay, so tell me how you see things playing out. And I told you, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be 0-2, and the Buffalo Bills, baby, are going to be 2-0. and Who would have believed that? Who would have believed that? And at this moment, uh, 
And, and I will probably do this at the end of the year, especially if Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, they make the playoffs and Josh Allen continues to play like he's been playing. I, I saw Josh Allen make a couple of nice throws on the run. He's looked like he's improved a lot. Um, and even Pat Freeman, uh, who covers the Buffalo Bills, he even said so when he came on my podcast about a month or two ago, how improved Josh Allen's looked in training camp. I will give my apology to Josh Allen, my full apology. Probably cut up the audio of one. I've roasted him. And I will take, I will bite the bullet. I will bite the bullet. And I hope I'm wrong. And like I said, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I said Josh Allen was going to be a bust. And I'm like, I hope I'm wrong. And right now, he, he's proving me wrong. He is proving me wrong. And I am happy. Uh, I had no ill will towards the guy. No malice. Uh, big, physical, strong, athletic guy can make all the throws. But I'm excited right now. The Buffalo Bills are 2-0, and that puts them in a very good position. Now, like I said, earlier in the podcast, we find out who's real, who's not, you know, the fakes from the non-fakes, you know, who's really about it, who's clutch, who can you rely on about Baker Mayfield, can he be that LeBron Cleveland needs? We're going to find out if the Buffalo Bills are for real Sunday, because they're going to play the New England Patriots. And people, everybody in Buffalo, Bills fans at large, know what the Patriots represent. You have Tom Brady walking through that door. You have Bill Belichick walking through that door. They're crewed up. They got Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon walking through that door. And Julian Edelman. And Philip Dorsett, who runs like a 4-2. Can the Bills defense slow Tom Brady down? Like, I am excited. Because we, we're going to see. We're going to see how for real. That New England defense is scary. Where we're going to see, can Josh Allen, it's different when you're making these throws against the Jets and the Giants. Let's see if you can make these throws against the Patriots. The Patriots. I believe we are truly going to find out. It's going to separate, you know, the men from the boys, right? I, I And I, I am really excited. It's going to be a good test early. And I don't necessarily care if the Bills win or lose because that's not the point. And I don't think they're going to win the division. New England's going to win the division. Everybody that knows that, even though it's optimistic Bills fan would have to say that. But in terms of a wild card, a fifth, sixth seed, even showing that we can compete, that people in that the Bills can compete with the Patriots, that is what I'm looking forward to seeing. 2-0, though, makes it really easy to imagine them getting into the playoffs because I had the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. They're 0-2. Like, it changes, it gives you a lot of room for error when you go up 2-0, 3-0, 4-0 on the season and allows you to maybe go through a rough patch in the middle of the year towards the end of the year. So all the Bills need to do is keep giving them that little cushion, that you know, that little nice little soft tushy cushion, right? So they can uh, make a run, hopefully, to the playoffs. Now, something else I also want to talk about, too. And just to get on this about the AFC North. Uh, the AFC North has become a you-know-what show. Ben Roethlisberger uh, is out for the season. We don't, I, we still don't know what Cleveland is. Uh, what we will find out uh, tonight when they play the Jets. The Bengals are awful, but everybody knew that. And... The Ravens have been really, really good so far, but I still think it's hard for me to imagine Lamar Jackson is going to keep up the success and not get hurt or something's not going to happen, and that's what I predicted. And at this moment, I will stand by that. But another division that has become a you-know-what show. The, the NFC South. So we have the Saints, right? Drew Brees is gone for about six, six eight weeks. weeks. Uh, the Saints are 1-1. One because it easily, could easily be 0-2 right now because it was a battle between the Texans and the Saints on Monday Night Football Week 1. That was a battle. And really, you can make an argument that the Saints should have lost that game, not won it. Then you have the Falcons, 
who the Falcons could easily as well be 0-2. They came a pancake block, awesome run from Julio Jones last night on Sunday Night Football to beating the Eagles. You have the Panthers, who just lose to the Buccaneers, who nobody has faith in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Cam Newton looks battered and bruised again. He's struggling. Cam Newton hasn't thrown a touchdown in like six weeks dating back to last season. And then the Buccaneers... And they don't inspire much hope to me because Jameis Winston has thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. And that's never good. That is never good. Now, cut up next. After the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have my man's, my brother, Scotty Johnson. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk and we have my brother Scotty Scotty from the city Johnson how you doing Scotty I'm doing good Brosky how you feeling I'm, I'm doing great now first thing I want to ask you Scotty right we have USA Basketball World Cup FIBA uh, they get 7th place they have qualified for the Olympics but they lose the teams that we would normally expect the US to and what were your thoughts about just America's overall performance um, I mean my take on it is that I think that, you know, like, basketball culture overseas is starting to change now. I don't even want to say it's starting to change, but what I'm hearing about most of, about most of these teams is that, you know, they've been together for, like, at least, like, for the past, well, at least, I would say, 15 years. They've been playing together for a long time. And, you know, Team USA is kind of like, team that they have now is not the same as, you know, years past. The talent level is different, so, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're younger, and they're going against experienced guys who want to win. You know, history, you know, I mean, you can't be dominant all the time. There's, they had to know that, you know, overseas was going to catch up eventually, and it's crazy because the Dream Team and the, even the 2012 team, they stacked the bar so high, you know, like, they're expected to win every game, but, you know, times is changing, and that's just tired of the, you know. Now, Scotty, we all know that this is probably America's C team that they trotted out that if they decided to bring LeBron, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, uh, James Harden, that they would win. Do you think those guys, those upper-tier, upper-echelon superstars, will play in the Olympics next year? Or do you think they'll take a step back and say, I want to focus on the season, I want time with my family, I want time for rest and recovery, like many people were talking about this year? Um... I mean, I don't think every all of them are. I do think I think it's gonna be split up. I think it's gonna be some that's gonna do it and some that's not. Like, for example, somebody like a player like LeBron and KD, I don't think they're gonna do it. But I do think a Paul George or and a, or a Kawhi you do it. You know, I do think those type of players are like a Kyrie or James Harden. I do think those type of upper echelon players will participate next year. But you know, it's, you never know because a lot of these players, you know, are starting to. They're, in the, they're at the stage in their career where they have to, you know, they want to win now. And they're going to do, they're going to take the necessary steps in order to, you know, overcome that hump. And if, listen, I don't team USA, like, it's part of that process, then they're going to do it. So, and in today's age, it's, a lot of these players are unpredictable. You never know what they're going to do. 
you know, they might change their mind. They might verbally commit and pull out, and you know, they might, you know, vice versa. So I, I say it's gonna be like a mix. It's gonna be some that, you know, some that do it, some that don't, some that don't. Now. And here's something that I think is interesting too. And you mentioned this, that the United that other countries are catching up to the United States in basketball. And and this is more so applies, you know, five to ten years from now instead of right now. But as we know, and we've talked about this before, the NBA is littered with international players. Whether it's Luka Doncic, whether it's Joel Embiid, whether it's Ben Simmons, whether it's uh, Jokic. In about five, you know, ten, five, eight years. We could be looking at a situation like, let's say, the next Olympic cycle in 2024 where we're looking at all the best players. The United States doesn't have the best player on the court or, or one of the five best players on the court. You're right. I agree. Uh, to push it a step even further, I think that a lot of these players are going to start going to college, too. I think most, I think more of them are going to go, are gonna start going overseas because the competition is starting to get better. So... Even like with that aspect, and it's just, I, I, I agree. Like, I do think, you know, in the next few years, that's a possibility because, these, like I said, these overseas players are catching up. It's not even the fact that they're catching up. It's just they're starting to understand what it takes, you know, to play. Like, the play they did, it's starting to get early. It's starting to hit their strides earlier. Like, you get like a, I think about over the years, about all the players that came overseas. You got Tony Parker, Monty Ginobili, Dirk, Chris Stiles. You know, and then and now we're in this new age where you get like a Joe teacher and Ben Simmons and a, you know, but for for overseas has been like a big, been a big thing. It's just I feel like now with the age of media and that the high everything gets tight, you're starting to see more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And even like our even our basketball culture is starting to change a little bit. I'm, I kind of from my way. We're brought up and taught how to play. That's starting to change now. So you know, it's kind of a little bit of everything if you think about it. And uh, I, I want to ask you about Greg Popovich because I know people always talk about how great of a coach Greg Popovich is. And I want your opinion on this. And this is a theory of mine. I'm not saying Greg Popovich isn't a great coach. I'm not saying Greg Popovich isn't a Hall of Fame coach. But he did come in with the most talented roster. Still, they still had the best roster. Uh, you know, from the best from the best man to the, to the worst man. They still had the best roster. They tried out the best guys, and they lost, and they got seventh place. Now. Do you think that there's credence? Because I remember people always talk about who's better, Phil Jackson or uh, Greg Popovich. And people would say, you know, Phil Jackson had Kobe, Shaq, Michael, and Scotty, And Greg just had, had Tim Duncan. But isn't there something to be said to being able to win when you have the most talent? Yeah, there's a difference between, you know, being able to coach talent and being able to, you know, just coach, um, quote-unquote, just, you know, regular fundamental players, you know, like, that's why I say that's the difference between the Mark Jackson and the Steve Kerr. Like, who's to say that Mark Jackson would have been able to handle all that, you know, all the egos and tension and talent level with the Warriors, with the team that they had now, with KD? You know, who's to say he'd be able to handle that? So, like, Steve Kerr was the, one of them coaches that, you know, like a Phil Jackson who knows how to handle the talent and know how to win consistently. But what Pop, what Hell Pop was, though, is that he never, they never won consecutively. You know, they always won in like different strides, but they still won. And they with the same like culture and the same, you know, like teachings and stuff for great problems. It's just been the same. It's been like that since what, the late 90s or mid 90s. And you know, they, they're one of the only few teams with that in basketball. And they call them what they, some people call them the Patriots of basketball because they won in each decade, you know? But I do think that there's a difference in 
coaching, you know, coaching um, abilities and coaching skills, and I think that's one. But I do think I'm, I'm probably one of the ones that say Popovich is a better coach because Phil kind of did have more talent. And ain't like he, you know, put that talent together. I feel like it, it was more so in the players than Phil. But I do think Pop, as far as, like, working with what he has and getting the most out of his player, I do think Pop is better at that. Are you trying to say that Phil Jackson wouldn't have had 11 rings if he didn't coach Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen? Uh, kind yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Hey, none of them ever won championships without Phil. The only one that's ever won a championship without Phil was Shaq, and that was when Dwayne, when Dwayne Wade went off in 06. So only, only one of them's ever won without Phil, so I mean... <laughs> I mean, but think about it though. Do you think that Phil? Do you think that Phil would have been would have been a decent coach without those players? Do you think he'd have the same career if he had if he wouldn't have had to coach those three players or those four players? Jordan, Kobe, and Shaq, uh, Scotty. You think that? I don't think. I, I really think the career the career path would be different. You know, I, I feel like sometimes like a coach can have more talent and be like more sort of you know the talent does on the team and the coach because if you got players who know how to do their jobs and know what they're doing or you got to do your job as a coach is just make sure they're, the team chemistry is good. That's it. But the difference between the field and the pop, pop has to develop you. You know, you don't come in like at this like high level talent that's coming, you know, when you get dropped to the third. That's how Kawhi was. He didn't expect Kawhi to turn out the way he turned out. But, you know, it's player development. They are... They are, you know, elite when it comes to that. And I think, like, that's, like I said, it's like, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think the career would be the same if he had Shaq, Kobe, and Jordan. Now, Scott, I do want to know. You mentioned uh, the 2012 uh, Olympic team with uh, LeBron. Kobe, Kevin Durant, people can talk about the 2018, the Redeem team, there's the original Dream team. Which Dream team do you think is the best, Scotty? I think the dream team would beat them. <laughs> see, you can't see you can't do that, bro. That's not fair, bro. We didn't we don't know what they beat. never watched them growing up, bro. They, they they don't count. I mean who's the who, who would be the best player on the floor though? On the dream team versus the the redeem team? Yes. Michael Jordan. Or LeBron or Kobe. Mike, stop it. Scotty. Stop it, Scotty. Stop, stop. Now, now, Scotty, 
I do have a question for you. Uh, Taco Tuesday. Uh, LeBron James, he's filing his trademark. Uh, and I think he uh, he did not get it, actually, in terms of licensing rights for the name Taco Tuesday. Uh, what did you all think about that, Scotty? You know, I was talking about this with the two of my friends back in the city, and I kind of had mixed reviews about it. You know, like, on one end, I kind of get what he was trying to do as far as, like, expanding the LeBron brand and, you know, and then more finding a way to come up with more income and stuff. But I just felt like he really, he, that's not something that, you know, LeBron James started. I feel like Taco Tuesday, Taco Tuesday been there probably like a different culture. A lot of people do Taco Tuesday. What I'm saying is it was something that was more relevant, that was relevant, that's always been relevant. It's just with social media and stuff, it's hyped up even more. Like there's some people that really believe that LeBron started that trend based off of, you know, of them posting on social media every week, you know what I mean? But that's something that, you know, I ask you, have you heard of Taco Tuesday before with LeBron, right? Yes. Exactly. So I just feel like that's not something I feel like he I feel like that's not something he should be able to trade one because it's not it's not it. That's the universal thing. A lot of co- different cultures have Taco Tuesday, so that's that that was my take on it. A lot of people, a lot of my friends disagree with me, but you know. You gotta be the odd man out sometimes. Now, Scotty, there was also a I believe Sports Illustrated, they did a list of the top five basketball, uh, I think it was like a top 100, but they did the best basketball players in the NBA. Uh, you know who they had number one? Is it, was it Ante DeCombo? Yes, it was. Number two was Kawhi, and number three was LeBron. Now, I disagree with that list. I think you can go, I would personally go Kawhi one, LeBron two, and Giannis three. But that's just my personal preference. How did you How did you see that? Do you think that's a good rank? you think Giannis is the best player in the NBA? Can we say that? Not yet. He, he's coming. He's coming. But definitively, 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 I don't think you could say that he's the best player. Not yet. I feel like that'll be up these next couple of seasons, next two, three seasons, this is going to be the season to, to, to prove that to the world, you know? But... I understand probably why they gave it to him because he was the MVP of the league last season, but I do feel like, like you said, I, I, I put Kawhi ahead, you know, of Giannis and LeBron ahead of Giannis, or even KD too, you know, in certain aspects. So, but hey, they, that's who they feel like the best player. I, he got to, you know, he got to run to the to the plate and show that. I don't, I don't think he's the best player though. No, no. I agree with you, and I would say this: Is Giannis better than James Harden? Um, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if he's better than James Harden. I don't know if Giannis is better than James Harden. Nah, you see, that's a good one because they play different positions and they both do stuff differently for these teams in order to, like, you know, to win it. But I do think that I do think that you know Giannis. Just, they both do great things, and then obviously you know they both you know do do things better than others. You know, like as far as Giannis being the better defender and James Harden being a better scorer.
and, and that gets to my point. You can't call Giannis the best player in the NBA. Scott, you know this. Giannis got exposed in the conference finals. He did. Kawhi, Kawhi took him out the game. Kind of reminded, it kind of reminded me of Shades of LeBron 2011 a little bit. <laughs> I mean, he, like I, but you're right, you're right. He got, he got, he froze, he froze. But, I mean, there's always room for him for me, you know. This, that was his first time actually getting past the first round, right? So, that was a, that was a success story. That was, they had a successful season even though they came up short. But, I, you're right, you can't, he still has a way to go. Now, Scotty, the Browns play Monday. Uh, everybody thinks Baker Mayfield is the savior. And you want to know what if, I was thinking about this. If Baker Mayfield truly has a spectacular performance on Monday, it'd be kind of like a LeBron type thing, right? That again? That's what Cle- Cleveland needs Baker to be LeBron. Nah, not LeBron. Yes, they do. Nah, we need Baker to be Baker. Let Baker be Baker. Because he, he, and the Browns ain't going to the playoffs, Scotty. That's hard shoes to fill, bro. You can't, you can't fill those, those shoes just overnight. I feel like you just got, you got to stay in his own lane and do his own thing. He doesn't have to be like LeBron in any, in any way. He just has to, you know, be Baker and just play good, you know. I think that, I think they're two different people, two different personalities. I don't expect, he already, you know, rubs off people. His personality already rubs people up the wrong way, so, you know. He's not, he's not the humble type. He's going to, you know, he's going to post and you're going to let his presence be known. I like that. You know, he's being himself. He doesn't try to be anybody else. I think the Browns could be successful. I think they could just let be Scotty, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem, bro. Thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. And that's all we have for this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk, the 100th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. I want to thank Ben Karen for coming on. Uh, Again, I want to thank Scotty Johnson for coming on. Next episode, going to talk a lot about Monday Night Football. Did Baker Mayfield show us what he can do? Can he be that LeBron? Can he be that guy Cleveland needs? We will find out tonight. And thank you for tuning in to this episode, the 100th, the 100th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk!